0: Addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu.
1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And uh, October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, uh, this week we're going to devote to the topic of breast cancer. We're going to talk about the disease, local services available, and also we're going to tackle the issue of early detection and whether perhaps screenings are leading to overdiagnosis of the disease. So we have uh, two guests with us. One is here in the studio, Janice Ross is the manager of the Alcott Center uh, at uh, IU Health Bloomington Hospital, and we also are going to be joined by phone, by Uh, Dr. Gilbert Welch, he's an MD and a professor of medicine at the Dartmouth Institute for Health Policy and Clinical Practice. You can join us on the program. By uh, calling 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. You can also join a live chat at WFIU.org slash And you can follow us on Twitter and comment there at Noon Edition. So thank you all for uh, joining us today, Mary Catherine. Hi, Bob. It's good, good to be back with you.
2: Yeah, you too.
1: All right. Well, Janice Ross, the Alcott Center has gone through, you know, it's been there for how long now?
2: Since 1999. And
1: it's gone through a lot of changes and has expanded and everything. Why don't you sort of give us the history of the Alcott Center and and, uh, what you do.
2: Back in 1999, a local woman by the name of Joanne Alcott, which is a familiar name in our community, had developed breast cancer and realized that there was not a way for women to understand more about their cancer and was looking for a way of helping out in that cause. So she teamed up with Bloomington Hospital at the time and donated some money to form the Alcott Center. When it was first established, they saw only women with breast cancer while they were in treatment. And over the years, the Alcott Center has evolved to include education, support, and advocacy for all types of cancer, both men and women.
1: Mm Now, talk a, a little bit. I know that uh, it's sort. Of, you have navigators there that, that will help. If women get a diagnosis, they will help women through. Can you talk about that?
2: Right. We have a navigation program which involves three oncology-certified nurses and also two social workers that help patients locally try to identify any kind of barriers that they are to them getting screened or getting treatment <coughs> and also any kind of disparities. We try to understand why people may not seek medical attention when they obviously have a problem and to try to help them out during the entire process of having cancer. Mm -hmm. What are some of the reasons? Well, what we know is that the Hispanic community is reluctant to seek out medical attention and also African-American women usually develop breast cancer at later stages and it's a more aggressive disease. So we want to m- give them an understanding about what breast cancer is so that they will seek medical attention as early as we can so we can intervene in their treatment.
1: Huh. And you're, uh, we should say you're a breast cancer survivor yourself?
2: Actually, I've had yeah. melanoma.
1: Okay, so you're a cancer survivor. But how important is it to have, for you to have a place where you can go to get information uh, like the Alcott Center?
2: Well, what we find is that a lot of the, the questions are very common Uh, People don't understand what cancer is unless they've had to deal with it personally Mm -hmm. themselves. And their only understanding of cancer is if a family member has had it. And what we try to do is give them personalized information of what services are available locally, what they can expect, and how we might be able to help them, whether it's with transportation, getting to treatment, which seems to be a, a problem across the country. And also, where they can get wigs for women who have had a mastectomy, where they can get mastectomy, bras, and prosthesis mm-hmm.
1: now, if you have uh, questions about you know services at the Alcott Center, if you have any any questions questions for Janice Ross, uh, you can call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition and follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Now, I want to bring uh, Dr. Gilbert Welch in with us and Dr. Welch is a general internist and in, in your research uh, it focuses on uh, problems that are created by, you know, the efforts to at early detection and you've written some things about um how physicians sometime test too often treat too aggressively and tell too many people that that they're sick so i wanted wanted to uh just sort of ask you in general to you know talk about your research and what you found
3: sure um first thanks for having me on the uh, program and um <laughs> i know these are uh, complex issues for for people and um but one of the the realities is that uh we all harbor some degree of abnormality, and um, in the last 20, 30 years, uh, medicine's ability to identify those abnormalities has uh, changed uh, dramatically. And it turns out the harder we look, the more we find, and this has uh, been a problem not only in breast cancer, but uh, for many of your listeners uh, will be familiar with the problem in uh, prostate cancer, melanoma, thyroid cancer, and The issue is that when we really look hard at people, we realize a lot of people harbor early forms of cancer, and uh, we don't know which ones are going to matter, so we tend to treat all of them, and that means we're treating some people for whom that collection of cells that is labeled cancer will ultimately uh, never matter. And this has really been a problem in the last 20 or 30 years as our technologies get better and better at uh, finding abnormalities.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, um, let me ask about, I'm actually a prostate cancer survivor, and so you know, it's, it's, this has been very interesting for me to watch as well. Um, you know, I, I guess the question that any patient has to come to grips with is once you If you are tested, and a lot of people are, and once you're told that you have cancer in your body, uh, I think there's a natural instinct to just say, well, get that stuff out.
3: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I I understand that uh, totally, and that's why I think the uh, question of early detection really needs to move a step upstream. And the question is who who wants to be tested for early forms of cancer? Uh, you, you're right. Once uh, once you've participated in screening and then you've had an abnormality found, it's uh, hard, not impossible. Uh, some patients do uh, then follow a strategy of watchful waiting. But I think the real uh, place that we, we all need to consider a little bit about our relationship with medicine, to what extent, why we feel well. Um, We want uh, medical care uh, that's designed to look hard for things to be wrong. And I I think we're beginning to get to a point where more people understand that there are reasons not to look hard for things to be wrong, and that reason is it can lead to a lot of overdiagnosis.
1: So what, what do you recommend in terms of uh, screening for, say, breast cancer or prostate cancer or, or melanoma, those kinds, of, those kinds of diseases?
3: Well, I, I recommend that people understand there are two sides to the story. I think for years we've suggested that early detection can only help people, and that's uh, overly simplistic. The reality is it can both help people and it can hurt people, and that's why it's a choice and that's really what i emphasize it's a choice it's not a public health imperative it's not something you must do it's actually not one of the most important things you can do for your health one of the most important things you can do for your health is to live a healthy lifestyle to get plenty of exercise do what your grandmother would have told you you know don't don't smoke go play outside and eat your fruits and vegetables that's really important to your health Screening's a more a finer balance um, and um, You know, I think different individuals in the same situation can rationally come to different decisions about whether they want to look hard for early forms of disease. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: The um, actress Angelina Jolie was in the news recently for having, I guess, what could be described as a preventative double mastectomy um, because of genetic testing and a family history of, of breast cancer. Um, what's, your, what's your opinion about genetic testing and uh, are you in favor of that? Do you think that's a, a reasonable approach to uh, uh, the, the gene that indicates a, a probability that you'll develop breast cancer at some point?
3: Um, I don't think there's a single uh, simple answer to that question. Angelina Jolie, the, the the most important part of her story is that it's not applicable to 99% of American women. That that that's the first part. She was in a very special high-risk group. Her mother had died of the disease or died of ovarian cancer. Uh she had a, a BRCA1 um, or 2, you know, these are the breast cancer associated uh, genes they are quite powerful. That does put women in a very uh, high group, a risk group for breast cancer. That is not the typical woman. Uh, Those women tend to know they uh, are at risk to have the gene because there's so much death from breast or ovarian cancer in their family. So I think Angelina Jolie made a perfectly rational choice. She didn't make the only choice possible, but she made a perfectly rational choice. Um, But I think the real lesson for uh, most women is that 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 particular anecdote doesn't apply to them. It's a very select group. Mm -hmm. But in general it does make an important point that the people who are most likely to stand to benefit from screening, that the people that are most likely, if you will, to win the gamble between the benefits and harms are people at very high risk for the disease. And that's, that's a very important point.
0: So I, I had a, a mastectomy, or mastectomy, I didn't have that, good Lord. I had, <laughs> I had uh, my screening this uh, past week, and that was one of the questions that was asked um, on the questionnaire before you go in, they asked if you've had genetic testing. Um, and so I'm wondering if that's becoming increasingly common, if, if you're seeing a lot of women, um, uh, doctor, you might want to you know talk about this from kind of a larger perspective, and, and then Janice, maybe locally, if you could address that that way, um, and Dr. I'll ask you to go first.
3: Okay. Well, uh, I I think in terms of the uh, breast cancer gene test, we are seeing more of that, and that's actually probably appropriate, particularly in the high-risk families, to figure out who's at exception. I want to emphasize this is an exceptionally powerful risk factor. Uh, we're, We're beginning to find out that that test is being used more, as some of you may be aware. It even went to the Supreme Court as to whether Myriad owned the gene. Mm-hmm. The broader question of genetic testing, though, for most people, actually um, hasn't taken off. Um, you know, the way that some people hoped it would, or thought it should, or um, you know, there are a, a lot of uh, for-profit uh, companies that are uh, trying to sell genetic testings, but it ha- hasn't really taken off. And I think it probably reflects a, a very basic truth that the really powerful genes, um, the ones that are really important, are actually fairly apparent uh, with a genetic test that's been around for a hundred years, and that's your family history. I mean, pe- people know when they are in a, have a very strong, powerful gene in their uh, family. Most of the genetic information we're learning about now is much smaller. It, maybe it increases your risk 10% or maybe it decreases at 30%. or um, And there's a lot of debate about exactly how much it does, and different studies show different things. I, I think the reality is the really important genetic information uh, tends to be pretty powerful, and you know about it from your family history.
0: Mm-hmm. Janice, are you seeing an increase of in people who are requesting this kind of testing?
2: What we're mainly seeing is an increase in women asking the questions about the double mastectomy after Angelina Jolie had her surgery. We do offer genetic testing here locally. And part of that genetic testing, there's a, a responsibility for us to sit down with the patients to give them an understanding of what the testing is, who might be appropriate. We do a family history, sit down and do a pedigree chart with that patient and let them make the choice. And we also sit with them and go over if they were to have positive results, what would be some of their different choices, whether it's increased surveillance or whether it is having surgery, so that they can make an informed decision about what is right for them?
1: Mm-hmm. We should also say uh, that Janice is a nurse, right, a cancer nurse. Yes. Yes. So she sees a lot of patients. Okay, we've got a phone call, so let's go to the phones. We have Randy calling from Bloomfield. Randy?
4: Hi, how are you today? Just fine, thanks. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it.
1: Mm-hmm. Go right ahead.
4: Uh well, no, I'm not here to talk about Angela Jolie, you know. I actually have an uh I'd like to refer to the opening question. Okay. Uh, as far as to why uh someone would be reluctant as to seek treatment when they realize they have a problem. Um I think in in uh this situation modern day society, we have people uh maybe they're reluctant to seek treatment Uh, due to a lack of insurance and they have a fear of unaffordability for treatment and therefore so it goes untreated and uh, you know that is an issue that we need to address and uh, you know there are certain cancer cures that are being covered up because of the big drug industry and you know they're making profits and kickbacks and someone elected officials who knows but there there are things being covered up here there are cures for these cancers and the thing of it is we we just we don't put the cure out there for people and we know there are things going on that, that are available and uh I think a lot of people are reluctant to seek treatment because they they just simply can't afford it due to lack of insurance. What do you what, what do you say to that?
1: Yeah, let's take those sort of in two different steps. I mean, one is lack of insurance and affordability, and then the second one is and you know we have a, a physician and a nurse about you know other potential treatments that might be out there. So. Um, let's take the affordability thing first.
3: Yeah, okay, let, go let, for let me comment on on that because I think that's a a very uh, central point. Uh, medical care costs uh, can be uh, extremely uh, painful and damaging to people. Um, it is now become a very common cause of uh, bankruptcy, and uh, this is a problem that that, that needs to be fixed. Um, and, and it undoubtedly uh, leads some people to uh, avoid uh, treatment, and and um, it, it is a very, the caller, uh, Randy makes a very good point.
1: Probably, I, just I want to add also, and, and Doctor, you can talk about this, but it probably also uh, creates a lot of not going through any screenings because people don't want to go...
3: Actually, you know, I was going to say this and then I didn't, but (laughs) but, uh, one of the things that that happens that to me is the most egregious kind of medical care behavior is when we offer free screenings Hmm. to people who have very poor health insurance. And then Mm -hmm. we find something wrong and they're not in a position to pursue it. And I don't think there's anything... Um, more ethically wrong on the financial front than to offer free tests that uh, help identify problems in people uh, who can't then pursue them. That's a well,
5: great who, point. Mm-hmm.
3: Who, who inevitably pays for those free screenings, right? Um, well, the, the the reality is the, a lot of people who are offering free screenings uh, do so with the knowledge that uh, they end up producing a fair amount of revenue downstream and the head of the American Cancer Society uh, made that point uh, about 10 years ago when he found out his own cancer center was offering free PSAs and when his business people were telling them you know if we offer a thousand free PSAs we'll have about five million dollars in revenue from subsequent biopsies and uh, treatments
4: exactly thank you I, I appreciate your response to that now the second part of my question uh, the, these cancer cures that due to the big drug industry. I mean, we're pushing pills like crazy, and we've got to stop doing that because there are ways to cure these these patients without pushing so many pharmaceuticals.
1: Well, let's ask let's ask the uh, doctor and the nurse about that. What do you think? Either one of you want to? Um,
3: I'd be happy to to say this, that first, cancer therapy has improved. Um, And in specific, uh, breast cancer treatment has improved. It's probably one of the most under- told stories of the last twenty years is how much better we are at treating breast cancer, uh, and in fact the death rate from breast cancer has fallen about thirty uh, percent over the last twenty years that 's largely uh, because of improved treatment and recognition that these are hormonally responsive uh, tumors and that that 's been a huge um, that 's been a huge uh, improvement so uh, I, I do think our cancer treatments are getting better i 'm not sure. Uh, we're hiding anything. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure I would, uh, I would agree with Randy on that one.
2: Okay. Janice, do you want to respond to any, any of Randy's comments? Yes. Yeah. One thing I think that we're very fortunate in our community is that we do have the Volunteers in Medicine Clinic, which is available for people who have uh, no insurance or don't have very good coverage for people in both Monroe and Owen County. So when there are screening events, that is something that we always take into consideration is the people who do turn up positive, then what happens? We don't want those people to fall through the cracks.
4: Well, why is it only Monroe and Owen? I mean, you do have other surrounding counties, people who are employed in your county.
1: Yeah, I think I think the volunteer in medicine Volunteers in Medicine Clinic was, um, you know, Dr. Raj Hadawi was one of the people that was really instrumental behind it, and it really is a volunteer clinic, and the, the physicians... Who man it uh, and woman it? I guess come from uh, Monroe County, and they've set it up. The funding sources are a lot of funding has come through Cook. They have.
4: So you're you're telling me if someone from Greene County came in there, they wouldn't be treated?
1: You know, I'm not telling you that. I don't know that for sure, but I know that it's set up primarily. You know, their their data, database. They're um, they're uh, looking at. Uh, serving monroe and owen county but you know either, what i what
4: again, that's my point you're looking at a database as another number this patient becomes another number you're not looking at them as a human being
1: um i'm you know i'm just telling you what what it the doesn't citizen. matter what
4: county they live in sir it doesn't matter where we're coming from if you have a cancer patient they are cancerous uh, it re- doesn't matter where they're coming from where they live are you going to turn them away at the door
1: Randy, I'm not involved with that center. I'm just telling you about it. If you wanna if you want more information on the Volunteers in Medicine Clinic to I'm see whether they would
4: not what you're all about.
1: I The Volunteers I mean, You really, can you I can mean, call the Volunteers in Medicine Clinic and ask them what they're all about. I'm not involved with them.
4: Oh, okay. Well I see where you're at then. All right. Well thanks for taking my call. Sure. Day, all right.
1: Thanks. If you have a question or a comment about uh, breast cancer or cancer services, you can call us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Janice, I wanted to ask you also about um, the affordability question and, you know, the, the counseling, I guess, that you would do with people that come into the Alcott Center. You know, if they have issues about how am I going to pay for all this um, – I assume you have people that will walk them through that.
2: Right. We sit down with them and we have financial counselors that are available to come over and and talk with them. And also our navigators will take a look at any kind of programs that they might be eligible for. We also have a pharmacist who has specialized training in oncology, in the medications that are used for cancer to see if people are, are eligible for any kind of program. So we know that that is one of the biggest barriers for people with getting treatment. We also know that people have choices to say no thank you when it comes to some of the treatments that we offer them. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure and be sensitive to that so that they know that they're still going to be able to be supported in whatever decision they make. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's go back to the phones. and We have Wayne from Bloomington. Wayne?
2: Yes. Several
5: callers were suggesting that it, it's uh, expensive to have Certain tests made, and and some of us need tests made. One of you can get.
1: Oh, oh, we lost oh, Wayne. Oh what happened to Wayne? Oh, we lost Wayne. Well, I'll tell you what. Wayne will probably call back, and uh, we're going to go to uh, our break now. We've hit we're about halfway through the program, so we'll just take a short break. Uh, we're talking about breast cancer and cancer screenings and local services available. So we're going to get uh, we're going to get our callers back after we take this break. You're listening to Noon Edition. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael and our two guests today, Janice Ross, who's in the studio. Janice is manager of the Alcott Center. She's also a cancer nurse. And Dr. Gilbert Welch, an MD and a professor of medicine, the Dartmouth Institute, Institute for Health Policy and Clinical Practice is with us by phone. You can... Join us also by calling 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348. You can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon And if you are already online, you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So we're going to go back to the phones. Uh, we're going to pick up with Ken first, I believe. Ken, and then we'll go back to Wayne. So, Ken.
7: Hello. Hi. Dr. Welch. And uh, I know you are not local from the description that's been given, but I am a cancer survivor, and particularly prostate cancer. And in this area, I was absolutely amazed at the number of treatments that are potentially available. But one thing that really disturbs me, and this is without any um, problem with women and breast cancer, is that prostate cancer does not seem to be very publicly acknowledged, and treated. And I know many men just simply don't want to be involved in the diagnostics or in particularly the uh, biopsy, which quite frankly is not that bad if well done. And what can be done to correct this? well uh Ken uh, I
3: think you're making two points one that uh, breast cancer awareness is uh, is an order of magnitude more uh, great than prostate cancer awareness, and some of us would argue that we we've now have put too much awareness into women about breast cancer and are really scaring women um, whether we are not doing enough to make men worry about prostate cancer i'm I'm not going to comment on that, because I think you could argue uh, both ways. But I, I, I think in prostate cancer screening, and I know it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we're we're talking to men, and we're talking about prostate cancer. But prostate cancer screening uh, now, um, I think, is broadly understood to be a choice. It, it is not a slam dunk. It's not clear that this is the way to go. Um, my personal belief is it does help a few men, but it leads many others to be treated for a disease that was never going to bother them. And the treatments are not easy. Um, The the treatments can be hard on men's sexual function, and it can be hard on their urinary function. So I I think this is a very close call. Personally, I've chosen not to be screened for prostate cancer. I I, I don't think it's the one right way to go. I think different people can make different decisions. But um, the prostate cancer choice to me is uh, even less favorable than the than the mammography choice, it's, it, it, there's just way too much overdiagnosis and overtreatment.
7: Thank you very much, Dr. Welch, but I disagree with you. <laughs> I respect that, sir. <laughs> a non-medical person, I respect that.
1: Thank right. you. All right, thanks a lot, Ken. Thanks for the call. That's not the, Ken's. Not the first person that suggested that we should do a prostate cancer show and mm-hmm. that, that should be, you know, more, have a higher, um, be emphasis. more emphasis, emphysis, yeah. yeah, but but we're doing breast cancer today. So let's go back to Wayne. Wayne. Hi. Hey, sev- sorry we cut you off there, Wayne.
5: Oh, okay. <laughs> S- several callers have mentioned how expensive it is to get certain tests. There's a there's a way to get some some very uh, useful free tests involving your blood. And that is to give blood to the American Red Cross. You give them a pint of blood and they take Take quite a few tests of your, of your blood, and, and, of course, it, it, and if you have something wrong, if they find something wrong in those tests, they will inform you. It doesn't cost you anything, and you have the advantage of being a good citizen and giving blood.
1: Okay. Well, thank you. Let's, uh, you want to react to it in any way, Janice? No? Okay. All right, Wayne. Thanks. Appreciate
7: it.
0: So right now, we'll get back to mammograms if we if we can. <laughs> um, Janice, right now is it pretty standard? Uh, one year, once a year, women are encouraged to have a, a mammogram once a year.
2: It it is currently, and our facility here in town is Southern Indiana Radiological Associates, which we lovingly call Sierra Imaging, where we have digital mammography. We have radiologists that specialize in reading mammographies, and um, We also have navigators that are there at the site to help women who are identified at high risk Mm -hmm. and to talk with them about breast health awareness, knowing what their own breasts feel like so that if there are changes, they can keep an eye on those changes and report them to their primary care provider to assess.
0: Now, the mammogram I just had was at? At Sierra, but I remember many years ago I did have one at the hospital. So is the hospital no longer offering that uh, at the hospital site, sim- but just through Sierra now?
2: They're all done at Sierra Imaging. There is a, a relationship, a joint relationship with the hospital and Sierra, and they decided that all mammographies would be done at that site. I see.
1: And, and Janice, the, the uh, American Cancer Society's recommendations what do they what do they call for? When should women start?
2: Currently, the American Cancer Society is recommending that women start mammograms at age 40 and do that yearly. But I would love to hear Dr. Welch's. Right, I'm sure. I was going to ask that. We all would. Go ahead, Doctor.
3: Yeah. It will be interesting whether the American Cancer Society continues uh, with that recommendation. Um, I think the the way we've seen things uh, drifting, and, and, and the public should know there are a lot of different groups making different recommendations. Um, To me, the most important thing is for women to recognize it's a choice. There's no single right answer. Um, The tendency has been in the last few years uh, to argue for a older starting age, at age 50, Uh, the reason being that women in their 40s have a relatively low risk of developing the disease relative to women in their uh, 50s. Um, And the other tendency has been to argue for slower, um, uh, or not slower, but but less frequent mammography um, every two years instead of every one. And the reason for that is that lowers the rate of the harms, and the harms of mammography screening are twofold. Uh, one is the false alarm problem, and uh, quite frankly, there's no other country in the world that would accept uh, the rate of false alarms that happen in the United States. Uh, this is where a woman is told there's something abnormal about her mammogram she needs to have another uh, view or she needs to have a biopsy, but ultimately she's told she doesn't have cancer. She may not be told she's normal, she may be told she has dysplasia, she has atypia or something like that, but that problem of false alarms is very common in the U.S. and it looks like over a 10-year course of annual screening About half of women will have at least one false alarm, and for some women that can be a terrifying experience and actually is something that that can be measured uh, three years later in terms of their sense of well-being and resilience. we we ought to be able to do better than that um there's some reasons uh there, there there's some reasons to think some of this is about our litigious culture and the mammographers feel they have to overread everything they they read too aggressively but th- that's one reason that people are arguing for less frequent screening. Uh, the other reason is the problem of overdiagnosis. And, and the reality is the breast is an organ that has a lot of cellular turnover. There are cellular abnormalities that come and go, um, and uh, some of them look like cancer under the microscope, and if you screen frequently, you find a lot of those things. And so one way to lower the problem of overdiagnosis is to not screen quite so frequently.
1: Um, I want to ask about. Um, we we do always see cases of younger women who get breast cancer. And I know Absolutely. one of the one of the um, people who's on the the hospital's website is a twenty eight year old woman from Martinsville that is very articulate about you know, learning she had cancer at age twenty eight. Are are younger women um, who discover? I mean, if we're starting to screen at forty, are these all? Are these generally discovered by you know self examination? And do you you know how? How often should that go on, and how are they more effective than a screening that I don't know if they're more effective, but sort of talk about their effectiveness versus a screening that might find, you know, abnormalities in cells. And both of you can
2: answer that, please.
3: Janice, do you want to go first, or would you like me to? Go ahead. Um, the, the The idea of being aware of one's breast. Um, and, and and, And when you notice or your partner notices a new lump, coming in to get that lump evaluated is a very basic idea. We all agree about that. Having a mammogram at that point is not a screening mammogram. It's a diagnostic mammogram, and even people... Like me, are very concerned about screening mammography, we totally recognize the importance of diagnostic mammography that 's an effort to find out what a new lump is and women who who recognize themselves to have a new breast lump are aware of a new breast lump, they should have that evaluated that 's probably been one of the most important things that have happened since the '70s is that we talk about breast cancer. Women recognize that when they become aware of a new breast lump, they should have it evaluated. There's no question uh, about that. Whether There's a point to actually having a breast self-exam every month in the shower. Um, I, I, what's the work have has been done on that is, is, is it doesn't make much difference. The main point is to be aware that when you recognize a new breast lump, which most women are quite aware of when they have a new breast lump um, just to have that evaluated and um, i should say even women who are screened still about a third of the cancers found in that group are found by the women they're not found by the screening
0: janice do you want to follow up on that at all
2: yeah i totally agree and anecdotally we see this happen over and over again women who tell us that they are just changing their clothes and they notice uh, the reflection in the mirror that there's something a little different with their breasts. And when they do an exam, then, then they notice there is a lump. It is still shocking to me how many women will wait. And they wait several weeks to see if that lump has changed before they do any reporting. And we often find it's the younger women mm. who are waiting until it's a fairly large lump to go and have it evaluated. And I, I agree with Dr. Welch. We have a lot of women that come to our center who have been told there is something abnormal about your breasts, so they they tend to carry that label with them and that fear that something wrong is going on in their breasts and that it's going to affect their life for the rest of their lives. So that's part of what we do is talk with them about there can be changes in your breasts that are totally normal because it becomes what is normal for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I know a lot of people have chosen
0: to uh, cut back on the number of um, panoramic x-rays they get at the dentist when they go. You know, that's a thing that they recommend, I don't know, I forget, like every five years or so. I think if you're an adult and probably more frequently if you're younger, they're trying to keep an eye on things. But there's concern about the cumulative effect of those tests over the years. Is there any um, uh, comparable concerns about mammograms?
1: Hmm. Either of you? Dr. Welch? Janice, you want to go
2: there? Well, what we find is with women, that the younger a woman is, mammograms are usually not the appropriate way to take a look at the breast. And part of that is twofold. One is it's more difficult to do a mammogram study going through a young, dense breast, but also there is that concern for the amount of radiation that a woman is receiving over her lifetime. With women who are older, that is another concern of part of the reason why there is that conversation of less frequent mammogram studies being done. Mm-hmm.
3: All right. Dr. Ross, if- do you want to address that at all? Uh, I, I, I think Janice did a very very nice job. The, the, we, we all know radiation um, has... A cumulative effect, and the whole question is when does it become clinically important and uh, or not? That's a hard question for us to answer. But as we are imaging people more and more, and I'm not just talking about mammography; I'm talking about CT scans, chest X-rays, etc. Mm-hmm. It's become a relevant concern in medicine. Mm-hmm. It really has been.
1: Okay, our phone numbers again, if you want to call us and talk to us about uh, cancer and cancer screenings and diagnosis. Bob,
3: can I just add one thing? Oh, yeah, sure. I I, I just realized I I, I, I want to be clear that when I worry about radiation is when, when people are just having tests to look for something wrong. I would never worry about the radiation if I had a new breast lump or if I was in a car accident or, you know, I had an acute abdominal problem so uh, this this is about a question about how often we want to be put into scanners looking for things to be wrong, as opposed to the question of when people are acutely ill or have a new problem evaluating it. Those are very different settings
1: all right, thanks, thanks for adding that. Uh, the numbers eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington or eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of the local calling area. you can also. Join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition if you want to ask a question there and don't want to go on the air. Um, I want to ask, and, and I think, uh, Dr. Welch, you're probably the person to start this conversation, but if there – you know, we've heard a lot about um, – prostate cancer and, you know, new recommendations for, well, you know, watchful waiting may be a better way for a lot of people. And you're talking about breast cancer and how it's overdiagnosed. I mean, is there perhaps, should there be another level of diagnosis? Should we call it something other than cancer, which f- just freaks people out, frankly? Um, I mean, are there levels of, of what's found in a diagnosis that just, should there be a different classification for them?
3: Well, um, certainly there are some who have uh, articulated that and, and, and actually just in the last few months the National Cancer Institute uh, had a working group that suggested that just that, that some of these early indolent forms of cancer um, not be called cancer. And um, maybe that's a solution. I don't know. I do know that some of the pathologists that uh, originally came up with the term ductal carcinoma in situ, which is the so-called earliest form of breast cancer, wished they had never attached the word carcinoma to it because Mm -hmm. the minute doctors hear the word carcinoma, it gets translated to cancer, and then it led to aggressive therapy where, in fact, probably the right thing to do with ductal carcinoma in situ is to follow it um but but so, so words do matter um i think people need to understand that that you know the world isn't black and white um it'd be nice if it was very simple that they either people clearly had cancer or they were clearly normal but the truth is there's a lot of shades in between and that's what makes it hard and when we're looking for early forms of disease we are looking into that gray zone and when you're in the gray zone you're going to have problems like different pathologists calling it different things, whether or not you're told you have cancer is going to be some function of who your pathologist is. That's uncomfortable for people, but unfortunately, that's the reality, and that's a side effect of looking for very early forms of cancer.
0: Well, along those same lines, you said earlier that... Many things look similar under the microscope, and I was always under the impression that if you had a biopsy and they they biopsied that tissue and you looked at it under the microscope, that um, which may be redundant, um, that they could pretty much say yes or no. And you're saying not necessarily.
3: Yeah, I'm saying it's a gray area, and I think we're also in our, our understanding of cancer is evolving. Uh, we used to think it was something just about the cancer itself, but and and this is just. surprised me so much when I was talking to some folks in the cancer genetics community, but they're beginning to talk to the ecologists because they're interested in the ecology of cancer. It's not just about that collection of cells. It's also about the human host that it's in, the body that it's in. We we all have defense mechanisms for cellular changes. Uh, some of our defense mechanisms are better than others. Uh, one of the realities of cancer is it's for mo in most cases it's a disease of aging, and it's probably something about impaired immunability, uh, uh, impaired ability to sort of recognize abnormal cells. So it's not simply about what the cells look like under the microscope. It's not simply about their characteristics. It's also about the human that they are in.
2: All right. Thank you for expanding on that for me.
1: Janice, any reaction to those questions?
2: When the NCI, the National Cancer Institute, came out with this thought process of changing these guidelines, this was a bold move. And it's a a move that is going to have to eventually be accepted by the medical community, but also through the Lake community, and it's going to take time mm-hmm. to accept this, to to accept some of these terms, and so um, it's a it's a very interesting time in in the cancer world right now to see these changes take place.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, if you want to uh, join us for the last ten minutes, you can call eight five five zero eight one one or eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. You can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition.
0: Okay, we've had a call from Austin that I run the risk of uh, mispronouncing what he's talking about drastically, so everybody forgive me in advance. Um, he wants Austin wants to know about research into bursi bursi color. Seems promising. Can either panelist comment? No. Janice no. Says no.
1: Dr. Welch, no. No. All right, so we're not we're not familiar with Tramea versicolor. So if okay. Austin wants to uh, send us a note, further elaborate a little yeah, bit, yeah. further elaborate, that would be great. All right. In and, the
0: meantime, we have a call from Larry.
1: We do. We have a call from um, it's all
0: men. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know. Isn't that men. strange?
1: No, we don't have a call from Larry. Uh,
0: not ready we're for not, Larry. Okay. Not, but not
1: men can get breast cancer. It's just That's extraordinarily true. rare.
7: Right.
0: What, what is? I know it's a very low percentage. Do you know off the top of your head what that is?
3: Oh, uh, it, 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 off the top of my head, it's about one one hundredth of the incidence.
0: Oh, really? Wow, that mm-hmm. is yeah. very, very.
3: And, know- oh, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say. So it would seem like it would be. Uh, uh, this is a kind of cancer that's related to estrogen.
3: Yes, it, it, most uh, mo- mo- most breast cancers, probably about eighty percent, are responsive to estrogen, and they're they're relatively slow growing, and I think we're beginning to recognize that they're a hormonally mediated tumor. And, and I think in the future, we may treat them hormonally uh, exclusively, particularly early ones. Uh, there is a category that is has nothing to do with estrogen. And unfortunately, they're the worst cancers. And, and And they're the ones that are most likely to be metastatic at the time of diagnosis. And one of the most powerful things that that, that I think talks about these sort of different types of breast cancer is, is the fact over the last 30 years, the, the rate at which we find women with metastatic breast cancer hasn't changed at all. And unfortunately, that's probably a group we just can't find early. Mm. Uh, it's such a bad cancer.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think, Doctor, that we're going to look back mm. at this time uh, in medicine, twenty years hence, and say, "Wow, we were just, we were just overdoing it."
3: Um, I, I I think there's a growing realization in American medicine that we're overdoing it in a number of areas, and and I, and I want to be the first to say, you know, if you're acutely ill, uh, go go see your doctor. I think we can do a lot of good for people. Um, but I do think there's a growing recognition that we've we've gotten too involved in the well population, uh, and 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 have been too aggressive, um, and I, I think we're beginning to uh, understand that a little bit. That there's a balance, and we've probably also overstated the role of medical care in keeping people healthy. Um, I think medical care is really important in helping sick people get better. Um, but our role in keeping people healthy has probably been overstated to the detriment of other things that are arguably quite a bit more important, and, and that's what your grandmother would have told you: don't mm. smoke, go, go play outside. So taking Maybe the responsibility the
0: away from the individual a little bit and placing it on the medical community.
3: Well, yeah, and I'm not. It's not that I'm shirking that responsibility. It just turns out medical care isn't that important uh, a determinant of people's health. Now, I want to be clear to say it's really important people with really high blood pressure get it treated. Um, but but the idea that the way to stay healthy is to see your doctor regularly, I think we've overplayed that.
1: All right. I have two questions I want to follow up with. One is, um, and we've got another couple questions coming in, but one is about, uh, you know, you talk about eating well, exercising and all that, but what role does, you know, anxiety play in... And, Absolutely.
7: I mean, stress, part, I mean yeah.
3: health is health health is more than the absence of physical abnormality. I think somehow we sort of played this card that you know, if we get enough tests we'll we'll know who's really normal. Uh, that that's not what health is. Health is more than the absence of physical abnormality. It, 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 it's a state of mind. And that sense of resilience, uh, of being able to deal with adversity, is central to health. Uh, Unfortunately, one of the things I worry about when we start looking hard at well people trying to find things w- wrong we, we begin to to damage that sense of resilience mm. and we create a lot of anxiety and I, I I hate to say it but I'm afraid breast cancer is a poster child for that problem breast cancer is an important disease it is arguably the most important cancer for a woman to worry about but it doesn't help having you know the, the whole population worried about it a lot
1: that well, doesn't help okay Janice uh, you spend you spend a lot of time with patients talking about you know reducing their stress and things of that nature.
2: We definitely do. And we try to develop programs around helping them with that stress level. We have local yoga classes. We also have massage therapy, which is available locally free for all of our patients. And there's a lot to be said for support groups. Support mm-hmm. groups are not for everyone, but we have about four active support groups that are available locally for both men and women.
1: Mm-hmm. I just want to point out, and this is I'm not going to phrase this as a question. I'm just going to point out, uh, Dr. Welch, you're really swimming against the stream on this in terms of, you know, somebody mentioned insurance and being able to afford medical care. Insurance companies now and most insurance plans are are increasingly asking people to go to their doctor more often to get these screenings, to have all these things, because apparently the people in the insurance companies believe um, a different way than you do. So just wanted to point that out.
3: Uh, um, it, this is the 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 some of the wellness campaigns going yes, on in right. some ways <laughs> it helps them attract uh so-called desirable customers uh and this uh this is a, a a a very big issue mm-hmm. uh, and you you're right i am swimming against the stream i'm not as alone as i used to be
1: though <laughs> <laughs> okay. and it's a
0: revenue stream yeah, too it it's, a, it's a very lucrative revenue stream <laughs> right. too. Okay. Can't be ignored.
1: very very quickly we have a, had a couple of questions Larry
0: uh, uh, yeah, larry called in. he wants to know if there's a correlation between dental x-rays and skin cancer he says that he likes to, he doesn't he refuses the x-rays now and and wants to know your opinions
1: and quick
3: um, I, uh, none that I know of, uh, but but I agree dental x-rays are totally overdone. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you want to comment at all, Janice? I agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, here's a comment. Um, go ahead. Uh, that uh, came in. It says, I had a CT scan. This is from Lisa. That showed multiple nodules, five millimeters or less, in all three lobes of my right lung. I now need a CT every six months for the next year. I don't know if I should be scared
1: or not.
3: Yeah. Um, well, this, this, the the key question for me is: Is she a smoker?
1: Yeah, and we don't know that. I, we don't
3: know that. Yeah, um, I, the, the lung cancer screening is probably uh, in in people who are smokers is probably where the deal gets best. a mm-hmm. um, and and, um, and it's still a choice, but uh, it, that's probably if we're, we want to talk about. Uh, a, a favorable cancer screening test, probably the most favorable is uh, CT uh, screening of smokers.
1: She should probably just talk very closely with her doctor. That's right. Okay, we're out of time. I want to thank our guests today, Dr. Gilbert Welch and Janice Ross, also for co-hosts Mary Catherine Carmichael, producers Gretchen Frazee and Emily Wright, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening.